Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I am Andy Pregler. Your unusual host, uh, Steve Haller, is with us in spirit behind the uh, the magic veil of technology. But most importantly, joining us today from Split Zone Duo, a fellow Yinzer, a fellow member of the fun online college media circus. It is Alex Kirshner. Alex, thank you so much for joining the Home Field Apparel Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. Andy, Steve, great to be with you. Always a pleasure to hang out in another fun part of the college football internet. And uh, we are really happy to have you on because, uh, to be honest and to kind of pull back the curtain, I messaged you last week after listening to the Split Zone Duo show where you asked the existential question, is Syracuse good? And then I queued this whole thing up saying, if Syracuse is in fact good, aka 3-0, you would come on here and chat. And I had the real feeling of, I should have just waited to do this until Sunday. I should have waited. I shouldn't have jinxed anything. I've lived in the ACC world long enough to know that this is how things get squirrely. Um, but let's start with the fun part. Syracuse is 3-0 and in a very weird game. Uh, as somebody who does pay attention to the ACC, whether by choice or because you attended a then-ACC school uh, in Maryland, which is no longer ACC, um, but you are a pit guy, big pit guy. Um, this seems like a year where the ACC is just going to be down. Like, let's just get this off the top. The ACC does not seem to be as strong as it was in past years, and the last time that that was the case, Syracuse went 10-3 and and won a bowl game over West Virginia. Um, I'm not going to make you predict that's the same thing that's going to happen, but I am just curious from the national perspective, um, are our feelings about the ACC in general, like on base, or is this a situation where Syracuse just hasn't played the tough ACC schools yet? No, I think, I think you're about right. I I don't think that the ACC is the cream of the crop in college football this year. That's not really new. I, I don't think the ACC has been for, for a while. I mean, I think the last time that it was close to that, probably at the tail end of Florida State being good right as Clemson was getting to be very good so you had those two at the top um, and then you know there were a few few moments after that but I I don't think it's a great conference this year but I also don't think there are a ton of gimmies in this league you know it looks like Boston College is 
unspeakably terrible, but it, it does look like the league in Georgia Tech is unspeakably terrible as well, um, not to leave out the bees. But other than those two, you know, you look around and you can see Duke maybe a little bit better. Um, you can look around and you can see Virginia Tech maybe being terrible, but at least having a pretty effective defense. You know, I think on the other side of the Commonwealth Cup, you can see UVA at least maybe showing some signs of being decent on offense, if not on defense. So the league has some depth is is what I'm getting at. I think there's only two really bad teams in this conference. uh, And the rest of it, you've at least got to show up and and play a decent game, at least on one side of the ball. Uh, And that's how I would appraise the ACC this year. Yeah, I'm I think that that's fair and unlike in past years this is a season where Syracuse is avoiding most of those good teams that you mentioned. Um this is not a year where Syracuse has a lot of their coastal crossovers or the surprising teams are in the Atlantic. Um and and let's continue to talk about the ACC a little bit. Let's talk about the Atlantic. Uh it's Clemson and everybody else from a national perspective and that's fair. But this year there's a second title contender for the Atlantic, and it is the NC State Wolfpack, who we have continually said, like, they will NC State at some point. It is NC State's destiny to never be the best, but to be the second best. And I feel like that could be a thing that takes place. But from the Syracuse frame of mind, the next two games that the Orange have are against a said not very good UVA team and against Wagner, an FCS opponent. Then they have a bye week and NC State comes to the Dome after they play Clemson. Uh, that NC State Clemson game seems like it's going to be potentially the ACC game of the year, uh, unless Pitt has a tremendous season and then the Atlantic champion versus Pitt in the ACC championship game ends up being there. Um, but what are your thoughts on NC State? Uh, what are your thoughts on Clemson? And how important is that game, not just for the ACC at large, but in the Syracuse context, they beat up on each other and then Syracuse plays NC State and Clemson in successive weeks. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to win either of those games if you're Syracuse, but it's not unthinkable in the way that it might have been before the season. I do really like NC State. I think Dave Doran, to his credit, has just built a self-sustaining, solidly above-average thing there that year in and year out doesn't seem to vacillate too much at this point. Uh, NC State loses NFL talent, high-end NFL talent, often uh and and just seems to be able to kind of cycle it back in and i think you know their their strength as a program for for the most part for the last couple of years um at least since 2019 or so has been their defense uh but you look and and they've got some fun things happening on offense i think devin leary the quarterback hasn't even really played to his potential yet this year and and they've still been pretty good and and you know at least been able to win a couple of relative defensive struggles with some special teams help uh, included against east carolina they seem like their receiver room is a little bit deeper than just thayer thomas um, though he is the only one who's really um produced at a at a tremendous clip so far there's a couple of other guys who you would you would hope who they do seem to feel comfortable targeting who you would hope would kind of grow as the year goes along so i like nc state I, i think i think they're good uh share your view that something will NC State with NC State at some point. We are all conditioned to think that way, but I do think they're the best bet to beat Clemson in that division. And for Clemson's part, I, I think it all kind of depends on the quarterback situation. They they don't have, with DJ Uyengalale, a top-tier offense that is capable of making national noise this year. I, I just don't think it's possible. 
um, if the offense is what it has been for the last one and a quarter seasons. Um, so the question for me is, you know, is he their best option at that position? And um, if he's not, and Cade Klovnik, the the much hyped backup, is the guy, then when does that switch get made? Because I don't I don't think it's necessarily fait accompli that the switch does get made. I mean, DJ himself is proof that um, just because you are a five star very much celebrated prospect coming in doesn't mean it's all going to click right away for you uh, once you're actually starting games in the ACC. And that's really the question with Clemson. The defense is definitely not the question and is still championship caliber. Uh, People might like to worry that, oh, they gave up a few points to Louisiana Tech or they gave up a few points to Furman. I'm not one of those people. Their defense is great. Uh, It's all a matter of whether they can find you know, top 15 offense or something like that to go along with it. And uh, if they can, they're going to win the ACC. And if they can't, then I think this is a year for someone to pick them off. Yeah, I think that this is like, I, I was looking at SP plus while you were talking, like the they're ranked 34th on offense in SP plus. Uh, if you look at EPA, you know, they're the 39th ranked offense. So this is not for Clemson's sake. This is not the explosive Clemson office that we're used to seeing where there's a wide receiver game breaker, which I think bodes kind of well for Syracuse. So like turning this conversation back to our lovely orange, like we know that the schedule is difficult after the bye week, uh, NC state, Clemson, Notre Dame Pitt, like that is a hell of a four game stretch for any program, let alone one that's trying to potentially spin a little bit of gold here. But for the orange, what we've dealt with this week is not just the articles of, oh, hey, Dino Babers is 10 million buyout. Let's not talk about that and talk about how this contract might actually end up being OK over the long run. Um, this is a team that has some solid assistant coaches, and that seems to be the narrative focus. Um, Robert Anay, the offensive coordinator, Tony White, the defensive coordinator, are names that you know, you people like you who follow this at a, sport at a national level, but also with a relatively analytical lens have recognized what those two guys have done at other schools that have been interesting with not very highly rated talent. I'm just curious, uh, again, I know Godfrey's Stephen Godfrey, your co-host is usually the, you know, the coaching guy. There's some worries that, you know, uh, Tony White might be listed for the Arizona State job that someone might actually come up with some big bag money and pull one of the pull one of these guys away. Living in the moment, uh, what do you think of the Syracuse coaching staff outside of Dino Babers? And in general, what is the national perception of Dino Babers? Um, Because in Syracuse, it's certainly complicated at this point in time. I think that a lot of people are wising up to it that Robert and I was one of the more important assistant hires that anyone made um, in the course of the offseason in college football. You know, he was a part of some really solid Bronco Mendenhall offenses at a couple of different schools for a while. Uh, and it looks, it looks, I mean, it's it's early in all of this, but Syracuse has, has played a couple of Power 5 games. You know, it looks like this is a improved offense once again. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself or, any, or anything like that. I, I don't think that it's one of the great offenses in the country or anything like that. But, you know, Garrett Schrader looks a lot better. Um, the, the offense looks like it's a little bit more than just give it to Sean Tucker, who's great. Uh, and obviously I'm very pleased with his performance, but you know, it seems to be a little bit more dynamic than it has been for, for the last couple of years. And so that's good. That's important. That's what you want. Um, elsewhere. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to say, you know, going down 
the entirety of this coaching staff. I, I know that they had major, 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 major issues uh, on defense before the last year or two. Uh, I, if I recall, someone got fired before Tony White took that job. You can correct me if I'm wrong. No, um, you were 100% right. It was the first um, – I'm already forgetting his name, but he was the first Dino yeah. of Dino's caravan that he let go, uh, Brian yeah. Ward, guy yeah. who had been with him at every stop. Um, so, you know, I, I I think that Dino might be an example of someone who um, kind of saved his tenure by making some improvements on his staff and Robert and I on offense being probably the most prominent example of that at the moment, given how things are going on that side of the ball. Uh, as far as Dino's national perception, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, I think before this season, the perception was probably teetering on getting fired. Um, I don't think anyone thought it was foregone. Like people weren't talking about Dino Babers the way they were talking about Brian Harson or you know maybe Carl Durrell, um, who's definitely going to get fired soon at Colorado. You know, I, I don't think it was that dire, but he he's been at that place for a long time. I mean, you know, twenty end of twenty fifteen, I think when he when he left Bowling Green, that was it was a long time ago. I mean, like that win over Syracuse and the Deshaun Watson, uh, excuse me, the win over Clemson and the Deshaun Watson days of, of Clemson was a long time ago. I don't even remember what year it was. Was it 17 or 18? Uh, so it had to be 17. Yeah. Um, so I think things looked stale, honestly. I mean, not necessarily stale to the point that you're getting fired, but stale to the point that I don't think a lot of us in the, uh, the quote unquote national media were really banking on a significant bounce for Syracuse. You know, I think the hope is, all right, maybe maybe you can find six wins. Maybe you can go to a bowl, and in a place like Syracuse, you're probably not going to get fired if you can do that. Um, yep. Now what we're talking about is a bowl seems like it should be your minimum expectation. Um, things will have gone very awry if Syracuse doesn't make a bowl this year. Not saying it's impossible, um, but things will have gone, gone pretty badly. And now you're seeing, I don't know, can you rip off seven? Um, is it conceivable that you could find eight? And so that's an improved position to be in, certainly from from where he was perception narratively a couple of months ago. Yeah, I think this is actually like a really interesting thing to talk with you specifically, because if for those that didn't get the joke off the top, like Alex, you, you grew up in Pittsburgh, football city, um, but it's a northeast football city. And there's definitely a lot of um, narratives and just general dismissiveness when it comes to Northeast football. And part of that is warranted. Like the talent drain from the Northeast that used to be in Pennsylvania and Ohio is not, it's not the breadbasket of elite football players that it used to be anymore. And you've seen a, uh, a drop in the national perspective of Northeast schools, specifically looking at Penn state, Pittsburgh, Rutgers, you know, BC and Syracuse all had glory days in the late 70s, 80s, even into the 90s for a lot of these programs that just seems like unless you're Penn State, like that really doesn't seem to be something that is reattainable. So for Syracuse, like you said, the athletic director, John Wildhack, has come out and said that the expectation every season is a bowl game. Debate the merits of that at another time. But it, when the floor slash ex middle of expectations are just six wins. Syracuse went through this in 2018 where they got to nine regular season wins, 10 including the bowl game, and everybody thought the program was turning a corner and were hit with the very rude awakening that there really is no turning a corner in the Northeast. It's very hard to do. 
So kind of to, to the thing that you just mentioned, there's a path. Six seems like the floor. You've got UVA, Wagner, BC. Those should be wins. That's There's your bowl game. Maybe you upset Wake. Maybe you upset Florida State. Keep it close against NC State, Clemson, Pitt, Notre Dame. There's There's lots of weird outcomes here. The range of outcomes is much higher. That being said, I don't think that that necessarily means that Syracuse should then be turning into an Atlantic contender next year or the year after. Like that just is... Can you speak a little bit to just how difficult it is to program build in this section of the country that Syracuse finds itself in, even yeah. though it's a member of a bigger conference? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to come on to the Syracuse podcast and say never, <laughs> never dream. It's impossible, um, but it is hard. And you know, even if Syracuse went ten and two this year, I I think there'd be a lot of reasonable skepticism about what that would look like next year um, because of the stuff you're talking about. I think two things have happened. You already mentioned one, which is there's just in terms of the perception of Northeastern football, there has been a talent drain. Uh, the Midwest has dealt with this to a lesser extent, but I think the Northeast really has, um, where it's just hard to self-sustain off of Northeastern football talent um, in a way that before the days of uh, a massive population shifts and b even before like the twenty four sevens and rivals were, were tracking this stuff, you know, you could build Pitt built a national championship program in the seventies, like you could do that. Um, and there is lots of evidence that you can't do that now in the Northeast just because there aren't that many players there. Um, the other thing is probably the demise of the Big East. This is more perception-wise. There's not any conference in college football that if it had a handful of good teams this year, people would think, wow, Northeastern football really stood up, right? Like the American is geographically disparate. The ACC is extremely geographically disparate at this point. I mean, every conference is geographically disparate at this point. This is... This is where the sport has gone. Um, so I don't think that there there's not a neat package of what you would reasonably call Northeastern teams that has a chance to be any good at the same time that would make people think, wow, Northeastern football is really on the come up now. You know, unless uh, UMass and UConn want to really get it together uh, and Syracuse is going to have a huge year and maybe Army has a huge year, which doesn't look like it's going to happen. Um, and then maybe you find a Pitt or West Virginia supplementing Penn State. It, it just doesn't happen a ton um and and there's not that package of teams from this part of the country that would be good in unison and change that perception and and that's something that you sort of lose with the big east i think yeah um this is actually a great segue because if you want to relive those big east days you should head over to home field apparel sponsors of today's podcast they make great vintage clothing uh, i am wearing a syracuse national champions basketball shirt from 2003 in the glory days of the big east uh, they have a Pitt National Championship shirt out there. Uh, basically, if you want to relive Northeastern football's glory days, head over to Home Field Apparel. Use promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order. Uh, if you listen, you should subscribe to the Split Zone Duo because they have some great home field promos that they drop every week, um, which is a little bit more fun and exciting based off of matchups and stuff. Basically, we all love Home Field Apparel here. They're great. We do. Uh, yeah, Connor, Connor has dropped the bag for the collegiate podcasting world. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah, they're great friends, great partners, great people, great business to support. Yeah, absolutely love them. So let's uh, so let's continue a little bit on Northeast football and general perceptions like uh, I think that 
as a like I similar background to you grew up in Northwestern PA and so my collegiate football experience was a lot of Ohio State uh, Penn State just this general Big Ten vibe that is very annoying and like my dad loved the Iowa game like that's just a good concept of like where I'm uh, yeah yeah so when we talk about Syracuse uh, they there are people who are older than me calling out Steve, who remember the Dwight Freeney, the Donovan McNabb era, uh, like that was the end of their heyday. And since then, Syracuse fans have, we've been chasing those years of like, oh, we just need to get, you know, one more recruit. We thought we had it with Eric Dungy, that that was like a turning point for recruiting, a turning point in national perception. But Alex, like, I think that it's really helpful here as we talk about like what the Orange are doing before we get into like the X's and O's and like what Syracuse is doing well this year from a schematic standpoint. Like, what is the perception and how does that impact recruiting? Because I do think that it's really important to point out that the Syracuse players that put them on the map are no longer in the NFL and kids are not looking at Donovan McNabb, Dwight Freeney, Marvin Harrison and going, oh, yeah, Syracuse. I don't think kids these days even know who those guys are unless you're really into Madden Legends mode. (laughs) True. Uh, Perception-wise, Syracuse is a hard job, definitely. Um, and and it's, it's similar to some other schools in this broad part of the country that had heydays when college football was a lot different. I mean, Pitt is one of them. You know, Pitt had Dan Marino and Tony Dorsett and won national titles and was great for a long time. You know, Syracuse had, under Ben Schwartzwalder, the best run of running back recruiting Ever in in probably the history of, of college football, I, I can't think of anything that would really even be close. But that was so long ago, and and things just aren't. I mean, you mentioned how how long ago it was for Harrison and McNabb. Absolutely, to the real heyday, it was even longer ago. And so I like you can't trade on that anymore. Um, if you're Syracuse, you you definitely you have nothing to point to that a 17 year old is really going to understand. Um, mm-hmm. You can't even really do it. It, it, you know. The thing that I think back to that, like maybe you could get away with, is uh, some branding bounce over how cool those basketball teams were with like Carmelo Anthony and Hakeem Warwick and Jerry McNamara. But guess what? Today's recruits weren't even weren't even conscious really for that. So you are kind of trying to build new all the time. Um, if you're Syracuse, like it's not, it's not a job that recruits itself it's not a job in a part of the country that has a plethora of power five caliber football players compared to other regions so it's a hard job i mean there's there's no beating around it but it's also an acc job um there's plenty of money in that banana stand there is plenty there is more brand recognizability than there is for basically half of division one at syracuse so to do something like win the ACC or to really level up, um, even for one year, like for instance Pitt did last year, it's hard. You know, you have to have you have to have a lot of things go right. It's not impossible. I mean, I, I do think it's impossible to be to be Clemson or to be Florida State, um, but I don't think it's impossible. And Syracuse kind of sniffed this uh, just a couple of years ago with the ten and three year. It's not impossible to have up years at Syracuse. You know, they're in that that class of kind of that lower tier of the Power Five where. That's what you want. Like you can have your dream season every so often, and other than that, you you want to be going to bowls. You want to be representing yourselves well and putting a fun product on the field. And uh, I I don't mean to sound you know 
No, you are you're in you're in safe company yeah, here. Right. I don't mean we, to sound fatalistic this, this about it. It's the, just yeah, this is the realistic end of the Syracuse fan base you're talking to. Yeah, um, it's just tough. I mean, and I get like I so I'm an alum of of Maryland, and we're in the same boat. You know, like I, it'd be fun if Maryland could put together a year, um, go ten and two with your only losses being Ohio State and something else, and playing a New Year's Bowl. Like it's not impossible that could happen sometime, but a lot of things have to go right, and that probably is the ceiling, though. Maybe in the twelve-team playoff world, maybe, 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 maybe you get to play in the dance once or twice in your history. Who knows? Yeah, the twelve-team playoff is definitely going to create some unrealistic expectations. Um, you guys kind of talked yeah. about this on your last split zone duo about uh, the number of coaches that are going to get obscene contracts and buyouts that are going to come from sneaking in as the twelfth or the eleventh team mm-hmm. um, and maybe making some noise in there. Um, it's it's going to look like college basketball, and we are very well aware of how a mediocre regular season uh, capped by end of season run can create some uh, divisiveness when it comes to the coaching staff. But that is for later on we're talking football um one of the things that does that is interesting about this version of the syracuse roster alex is that a lot of the key players uh the former doug marone uh head coach doug marone and scott schaefer really tried to do the whole northeast recruiting thing which as you alluded to earlier there's just not a lot of talent in the northeast so basing your entire recruiting strategy on that area of the country is probably not going to yield the the highest possible caliber of players um, the Jones family are no longer, you know, churning out NFL defensive ends just down the road uh, anymore. And so if you look at this current Syracuse roster, Sean Tucker is from Maryland. Garrett Schrader and Garrett Williams are for, from North Carolina. Um, you're looking at uh, just a uh, Mikel Jones is from Florida. Like this is a really this is a team that has gotten by and is finding talent in a bunch of fringe three stars, low four stars that are overlooked for some reason or another. In the case of Tucker, it was uh, Tucker and Mikel Jones. It was their relative sizes. Uh, Garrett Schrader, it was uh, a certain uh, SEC head or former SEC and Pac-12 head coach wanted to turn him into a wide receiver instead of a quarterback. Like it really is a little bit of an island of misfit toys uh, when you look at the roster holistically. However, there's there's a case to be made here that Tony White specifically on defense with Garrett Williams, Deuce Chestnut, are is continuing a lineage of NFL caliber defensive backs. Um, I'm just curious from from your perspective, um, when we look at what Syracuse kind of relies on, which is a three three five that tries to create confusion. Uh, this is something that we've found sustained success in, and I am somebody who enjoys that sustained success because I'm a Syracuse football fan, but how is it that this kind of scheme can work for a school like Syracuse that is never going to have, you know, five-star studs in the, in the front seven that can just win a one-on-one matchup for you and allow you to drop, you know, six or seven guys into coverage. Like there, this is, this is a scheme that is based off of intentionality. Um, and there are other schools that do this and I'm just, you know, you probably can speak to that a little bit more and explain to us why we can continue to be optimistic about this approach as opposed to the get the best athlete approach. Yeah. I mean, the part of the reason it's, it's funny that we're talking about Syracuse because your basketball coach has sort of done this more notably than any other coach in this sport. But, you know, let's, let's, I'll start with, I'll start the answer with basketball. Syracuse is a, is a fine recruiting program in basketball, obviously, but it is not ever, never has been, never will be, going to recruit players at the level of the company that it tries to keep in basketball. You know, Duke and North Carolina are always going to have better players than Syracuse. Um, And the zone, 
deals with that in some respects you know you create a defense that ideally is better than the sum of its parts um, by being able to quickly rush over it everywhere the ball is and to apply pressure in the right places and to make it hard uh, to score and I think the principles of a three-three-five. Um, though there are football coaches who could talk to this in a lot more detail than I can, um, is not completely dissimilar. Um, you know, it is a passive defense. You and you know, and you can play positionless football, and you can send blitzers from wherever, and it doesn't necessarily mean passive. But generally speaking, you know, it is a sit back and make the offense scheme guys open in a more challenging way, and simply having better players kind of defense. Uh, and I think, you know, in the in the very early going of the season this year for Syracuse, it's worked pretty well. I mean, it certainly worked worked great against Louisville, and you even saw it a little bit against against Purdue, though obviously that game was so weird that drawing conclusions from it is, is pretty tough. You know, Syracuse doesn't break up a ton of passes. They don't cause a ton of chaos. They don't really like upset the apple cart in in a huge way and i think they've even gotten gashed on some pretty significant explosive passing plays at, you know at the start of the year but they've been able to put enough of a lid on things that they've been okay you know i mean charlie jones was the best player in that game uh the the purdue wide receiver on saturday uh and he certainly got his but only once or twice did the top really come off of the syracuse defense and they were able to do the same thing to purdue um that's sort of what you're looking for when you're playing a, a zone-based defense. And when, and I mean, uh, it, it's not just the, the zone part of it. I think, you know, you, you need to have a lot of defensive backs in the field in modern college football. But that's why they're in the nickel all the time. But it's, it's that principle of trying to make things more difficult on teams that might be more talented. Yeah, and the, the Purdue game... Uh, I think is a great segue to talk about the offense. Uh, Dino Babers compared the outing that Garrett Schrader had against Purdue to a pitcher that doesn't have his good stuff. He's just throwing, throwing a lot of junk out there. Uh, there's many, there's a couple of plays on Twitter that people are talking about where like, it's really obvious that Schrader is just missing reads. He might've been dealing with an injury because of the way that he was feeling pressure and his lack of mobility, but they were still able to make some of these big throws. And Syracuse has finally, uh, under Robert and I, caught on to the pre-motion uh, phase that every offense is doing right now. And they need to do that because, as you mentioned, there's so many defensive backs on the field. If you're just going to line up, everybody can cover somebody and there's not going to be a ton of openings. And you're going to need a really elite QB in order to make those throws. And elite quarterbacks do not grow on trees. They don't even go to the best schools. So you use motion in order to open some things up. Uh, Garrett Schrader is a fun quarterback. He runs a lot, puts his head down probably a little bit more than we would like him to. Um, but he's really in th- improved on the offensive side. And so, Alex, as we, you know, the Purdue game was a bit of chaos incarnate. We know that the offensive line definitively needs some work, especially in the running game. Um, but just what did you see from probably the worst version of Garrett Schrader that we've seen since last year when he was first learning the position with a less than ideal offensive coordinator situation like you saw the worst version of Garrett Schrader what did you take away from that and knowing that he's probably going to get better and look better in different games what can Syracuse act reasonably expect this offense to do against better defenses since Purdue was the best defense that Syracuse has faced to date Uh, I think it'll you should expect that it'll be harder. I mean, that's not breaking news, but NC State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Pitt is quite a run of defenses to play in a row. Um, there will be discouraging moments in there for sure. And, you know, if Syracuse can find 
one win out of that stretch of four games, uh, particularly given that Pitt is on the road. That's great. Um, I mean, you know, there will there will continue to be growing pains. He's he's not very polished, which you wouldn't expect him to be. Um, but he's fun, and I certainly appreciate that as a watcher of the sport. Yeah the the defensive run. I think that, like you mentioned, I don't think that any of those games are as scary as they looked at the beginning of the season when they when all those teams were top fifteen SP pluses. Um, not saying that they are. You know, right now, I think that the lowest ranked one is, yeah, it, it maybe is, yeah, NC State's ranked 19th in SP+, but Pitt's up there, Notre Dame's up there, Clemson's up there. Those defenses are big guys that are going to cause lots of havoc. Uh, just from a college football is weird and chaotic standpoint, the Purdue game felt like all college football personified. It was a very stupid game that Syracuse should not have won, but Purdue didn't want to win it. And at times Syracuse didn't want to win it. Uh, winning those games is important for the narrative stuff that we can't quantify with data very well. Um, and it's obviously important for Syracuse fans to potentially jump back on board this, this program. Uh, what for you is like, if Syracuse only wins, you know, three more games the rest of the way out, like, is this Purdue game enough to say that, like, the the Turner, the corner has been turned in a meaningful enough way to show that Dino probably deserves to stay the length of his contract? Or do you need to see something else besides Syracuse just hitting hitting their expected floor? Yeah, I think if you're Syracuse, bowl is the goal, is, is probably, and I know the athletic director said that, but you know, if Syracuse goes six and six this year, that would be pretty. Unless there was something else happening, like that would be pretty surprising to me. If the university turns around and says that's not that's not enough, you know, no matter how you found them, um, it's not that type of job. I don't think it should be that type of job. Um, and I think, given I understand that we don't understand a decent bit about Davis's buyout, but it would just be odd to me if they won six and made made a change at that point. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think we're there. Uh, one of the last things I wanted to get you out on, uh, just in general, the uh, Syracuse has never won at the building formerly co- known as Heinz Field. It is one of my weirdest things that exists. Uh, one of the things that I keep talking about with the, the Pitt-Syracuse rivalry that never materialized is part of the reason is that for a lot of Syracuse's Pitt's time in the Big East, people just didn't go to Pitt games. Uh, there was... <laughs> Just yeah, that that stadium would be pretty cavernous for a pit game, uh, pre Narduzzi. Now it kind of feels like the ter- like the perception corner has been changed at Pitt. Like you were at the um, West Virginia game, which obviously is its own kind of beast, and that is Pitt's number one rival. Full stop. But if Syracuse were to do something squirrely against Pittsburgh and the stadium was somehow, like, full or whatever. Is there ever a chance that Syracuse Pitt is going to actually be a football rivalry of some kind, or is it just going to be, we're neighbors that are just keep traveling and following each other around here? You're more of, we're just going to be annoyed with each other. That would be my guess, Uh, although I I think people should always put respect on some of the Pitt-Syracuse men's basketball games of the aughts. Um, when Jamie Dixon was at Pitt, because those were like that was serious. Like there, there were some years there with some characters at those schools where um, 
where for those couple of years, like Pitt and Villanova and Pitt and Syracuse and Pitt and Georgetown and those schools and each other was as good. I mean, I was, I was young, but that was as good as, as men's basketball got. Um, so there is real history there, real tradition there, uh, and maybe some leftover animosity that football could leech off of. Who knows? Yeah, those, uh, my dad, uh, I was supposed to go to Pittsburgh. I ended up not going to Pittsburgh because I like Syracuse a lot better. Uh, but my dad keeps track of the Pitt-Syracuse head-to-head since I spurned Pitt for Syracuse. And it's not pretty. Those Jamie Dixon teams sure. really kind of threw off sure. the win-loss record. Uh, still really hate Dewan Blair. Will always hate Dewan Blair. Sure. sure. Good player. Yeah. Great uh, player. Carl, Good. Carl Krauser for me. <laughs> I think he was from the state of New York as well. I believe you are right. Yeah. This is, uh, yeah, so here we go. We're just going to have you on during uh, basketball season now to just talk about the old the old Big East days because that's all anybody wants during basketball season anyways. Um, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Syracuse, uh, if you, uh, I'll let you do your own little plugs, but I will just say, like, I listen to Split Zone Duo pretty regularly because you guys are some of the smartest college football out- insight out there that's not covering just the SEC Big Ten. Uh, so if you're a college football fan and you would like to pay attention to the sport at wider, uh, you should definitely listen to split. So do it, but Alex, where can we find you? Where can we find your work? Uh, uh, give us, give us your little spiel. Sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my name is Alex underscore Kirshner, uh, no C K I R S H N E R. Um, and yeah, we'd love for you to check out Split Zone Duo if you have some room in your heart for a podcast that isn't explicitly Syracuse, though we promise to touch on the orange from time to time. Uh, we put out a couple of episodes a week on our free podcast feed, ad supported during the week. You can get it wherever you get podcasts, Split Zone Duo. Uh, we do a midweek show that comes out on Wednesdays where we sort of look to the week ahead and talk a little bit about the week that was. Uh, and on Sundays, right after the games are done, uh, early in the morning or mid morning, we put out a 30 to 40 minute hurry up, we call it, where we sort of debrief you on the whole weekend so we'd be honored to orange up our our listener base a little bit yeah highly recommend the hurry up especially if uh like this past saturday where i was emotionally spent after watching syracuse purdue and could not ingest anything more uh because my brain was just fried at that point i was emotionally spent too uh in my investment on the over in that game which did hit (laughs) uh thanks to thanks to the boys in orange at the uh the very end the uh the we were sitting next to so many people uh at the, i was watching with a friend at a bar and they were everybody was like oh yeah took the under took the under nine three at halftime those under bets thought, were looking but they thought they were good yeah but they thought they were good. <laughs> that syracuse touchdown caused a wide range of uh emotional uh outbursts it was a good time uh alex thank you again we really appreciate you joining us uh thank you to everybody who listened as always make sure you like and subscribe our podcast make sure if you're watching this uh uh subscribe to our twitch feed and if you are reading this on nudesmagician.com thank you thank you uh you can continue we'll have our normally scheduled podcast after syracuse virginia uh sunday will be when we record live and this and we'll have the feed up monday uh monday morning but alex thank you again uh steve thank you for producing and go orange